Are you an ambitious, driven entrepreneur starting to feel overwhelmed, maybe a little trapped by your business? Well, I have a solution for you. It is the five-day bottleneck to breakthrough challenge, where in an hour a day, we will give you the roadmap, the blueprint, the treasure map to where you can find yourself with more free time, more freedom of money, and a more valuable business. Hope to see you soon www.bottlenecktobreakthrough.com. Why worry about your numbers when the banks won't give women entrepreneurs money anyway? So they're frustrated because even though they know their numbers, they get a good business plan and marketing plan, and their financial forecast is there, they're still frustrated when they have to go to the banks if they are looking for a loan and the loans still aren't given. So I so said, why should I go through all this work and have my numbers in place when nobody's willing to fund me anyway? So I'm just taking care of myself. This is The Real Bottom Line, where we tell entrepreneurial stories about true grit and perseverance from frontline business owners themselves. Now, let's get started. Hello and welcome to The Real Bottom Line. Today, it's not one, but two guests. We have Melanie Little and Bernadette Hamilton-Reed. Let's start off with Melanie, because Melanie is the founder of V-Life. Uh, local support, local marketing, local type of initiative startup. Melanie, tell us a little bit more about how you found this problem and what you're, how you're solving it. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting question. Um, basically, we started kind of pre a very just a very vague idea. Like, there's a lot of my co-founder has a background in technology. My background is in education, and we're both uh, very socially minded and want to. Mm you know, like a lot of people really, what can we do? Is there something we can do to help and, you know, um, increase impact by whatever this business idea we want to make? So we started with an idea of how can we leverage technology? There's a lot of technology out there that's readily available, um, uh, but not necessarily accessible to all, everyone in, in society. And well, that's a big problem. So how can we leverage technology to, to improve people's lives somehow? Um, and then we started back and forth with a lot of different ideas. Oh, we'll make a social network. That's going to be completely private. It's, we're not going to make money by selling people's data. We're going to also help them organize their lives. We fell into that trap. Um, so my, my partner, my co-founder's background is in big business, IT strategy, management, consulting. He started off as a coder, as many, many people did way back, but uh, that that's not his space now. So he doesn't build the technology now, but he coordinates and organizes, has a lot of knowledge and industry level mm. and multi-industry. And then my background was in education. Uh, so I did not, uh, neither of us had any sort of lean startup entrepreneurship experience. Yeah. <laughs> so we did the typical mistake despite being warned not to, of building a giant thing that was gonna change the world. We were gonna organize your schedule. We were gonna like help you keep up to date with your contacts. We were gonna do it all. Were you gonna do my dishes? Cause that would've been good. Yeah, probably in the, like, like the- Version 2.0. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I laugh now because it seems funny. At the time, we, this, is, this is really important lesson for me because at the time I'm laughing now but we genuinely believed it yeah. and I think it's a fairly common uh, uh, mistake that people who are new to the entrepreneurship space um, and maybe even the startup space start building before we've kind of 
figured out the market, figured out what the problem is and really hone in and create what's called a minimum viable product. And I have all this language now because early on we, we figured, okay, maybe we, we, we tried a few different things and to be honest, invested money that was gone um, in working with partners and, uh, and not to cast blame or anything. It was just based on our inexperience. We said, build this. They said, sure. <laughs> and it was, that basically didn't work. As a, I call that paid education, Melanie. <laughs> absolutely. It definitely was not um, worthless. I uh, learned a lot of lessons there. But all this to say, you know, fast forward later, we landed on how can we help small businesses? Yeah. In our research, uh, we found that it's small businesses that actually are the backbone of our economies. Um, so previous financial crisis to this current one, uh, the big bailouts were for the banks and Wall Street and the big companies. And I think there's a big shift culturally in understanding now because we were doing research before this most recent, the pandemic, where it was, everyone is understanding um, how important it is to support local now. And yeah. governments through this pandemic were really leaning in. And I know it wasn't all small independent businesses. I know there was still a lot of hurt. Um, it certainly was a lot more uh, rescue and grant funding to small businesses this time than any other from my experience. Yeah. Um, so we, we were quite um, excited, you know, pre this kind of early on, like others who were aware, we weren't the only ones that small local businesses are the backbone of our of our economies, so how can we help them? Um, so we tried a couple different ideas. We were gonna be a discount service for small businesses, uh, tested that idea out a little bit and some fee, and we tested it out by, I was literally walking down downtown Portland Street um, in Dartmouth here in Nova Scotia, uh, talking with these very friendly Nova Scotian small business owners and they were all enthusiastic about what we were trying to do, but they weren't, they when a bit of feedback that we got was well you know i i like the idea but i don't offer that many promotions <laughs> then we're thinking right and then we started doing some more research around about this time we connected with volta labs which is a um, tech incubator here in halifax and we joined with them as network members and it's just a great collaborative space where we started, we were able to take courses and, and workshops and started to learn about this whole lean startup technology idea. We started pitching our idea about this discount service, you know, and testing, like doing that customer discovery that we hadn't done with the giant behemoth app, life-changing app that we were going to build. Um, and essentially, long story short, believe that me, this is short because we started this journey like 2014. So this is short. Oh my gosh, yes. Um, uh, we land, when we were pitching the idea of a discount service, people, a lot of the feedback from some very smart, very supportive people, like judges at competitions and things like that in the, in the ecosystem here were, and just general feedback was, one, it was too cheap um, for what we, were, what we were initially, I was, was going to be free uh, again. And then we were like, oh, how about $10 a month? And then how about 15? It just wasn't sustainable for what the impact we wanted to achieve. So that was a big lesson. Like you have to price accordingly to mm. make sure that it's a viable business so that you can grow it and scale it so that your impact will grow and scale, right? So you can't under, undercut yeah. your pricing. And I know, Wendy, you, you deal a lot with this. So um, 
That was one thing. Another thing was people just wanted to find more small local businesses mm. more easily. In our research, we discovered discount shoppers, buy local shoppers. You might be both, but the motivations for doing them are very different. Right. So really uh, a lot of lessons learned there, a lot of feedback, listening to what people want. And, and we landed on, let's just create a platform, a space online that is only for small independent businesses and invite people who want to find more of them and support them and have that social impact, have that environmental impact because it also you know, reduces our carbon footprint, footprint the more we can, can buy local. Yeah. Um, and that, that's how we landed on, on the final V-Life app as it is today. So and yes, that is an example of my short story. <laughs> that's awesome melanie so bernadette is on your platform yes how did you guys get hooked up mm -hmm. bernadette how did you get hooked up with melanie oh my goodness i am trying to figure out if i was I, hmm. it's been a while now but yeah. i'm not sure melanie may have to re refresh me so either yeah, i know yeah. joyce has introduced me to the live as a customer current customer. And I think maybe the chamber, I think it was a free program you were offering through Access Nova Scotia, maybe. Or maybe well, I was a client. And it's, in, I'm sorry, I don't mean, I'm smiling <laughs> as you're like trying to remember because this is, uh, this happened a lot. So we, it was through Access Local, through Halifax. Access Local. Mm. Through Halifax Partnership. Um, and so Halifax Partnership is a public-private partnership here. And they're, they're only, um, Thing that they want to do is help and promote business in 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 HRM. So when the pandemic struck, they got some grant funding, and uh, we we liaised with them and developed a program called the Access Local Program, whereby they funded a certain number of um, Halifax uh, small local businesses for a year on our service. And Joyce was one of our first, and she Joyce is in the audience right now. Um, uh, and she was one of our first. And uh, then Bernadette, I remember we launched with you in December. We yeah. connected quite soon after, like I think in November. That's right. But then we launched with you in, in December. Okay. Yeah, I've been on just a lot of networking. I'm always on go looking for opportunities. So yeah, Halifax Partnership, NSBI, and so I wasn't quite sure. I couldn't remember. Yeah. So yeah, all right. So that's good. Access local. <laughs> good for you. <laughs> So Bernadette, for us too. <laughs> what do you, what do you sell on Melanie's pro on platform? Like, or what is the feature? Cause for me, so my business is Sankofa African gifts. So I bring Africa to the world through beautiful African products. So Sankofa birds, um, clothing, jewelry. I, I am my products. So I'm wearing earrings, African tops, um, jewelry, books, children's books, adult books, um, purses, anything that's Afrocentric because I found that it's very difficult to find in HRM and throughout the world actually. It's not just, it's not just in Halifax and Nova Scotia. So it's Afrocentric product that gives a beautiful sense of our culture and products that people can buy for gifts or they can use in their home and different things like that. That's cool. Um, so do you have a, show, a store or are you all virtual? I'm all virtual with my website and I know that um, it's been, uh, I do a lot of pop-ups, you know, okay. pandemic. Oh, it's oh. been very difficult to do pop-ups, but they have been starting again. So the website is just, yeah, www.sankofagifts.ca. And um, so yeah, I'm still online. I'm really trying to improve that. And with V-Life, it has been improving. 
uh, with promotions and letting people know that I'm out there and just getting the word out because I have been a person-to-person business going out to people, going to community events, going to family reunions. Um, if there's something in the community going on, if something going on in the church, or I do fundraisers for schools, fundraisers for uh, Christian groups, anybody looking for a fundraiser, I'll do things like that. Um, so it's a matter of me going out as Sankofa, but trying to get the online presence really to grow. Yeah, that's a, thank you for saying. I've, I've been loving working with you and, and working to get these amazing um, small business owners both within our community, familiarize with your products and you with them. And it's been, been great working with you. Um, yes. So I wanted, to, I wanted to jump in, Bernadette, because I know I've heard a little bit about why you started. Could you talk to us about why you started Sankofa? Well, I started Sankofa as a young mom. So 25 years ago, I birthed my first child, Allison. <laughs> She's now 30. <laughs> and, um, you know, as a young mom, I really, education and reading was very important. So I wanted to read books to her. But it was very difficult to find books that had African characters, positive characters, and certain things like that. So I started to source through the internet, you know, of course, Amazon. I made a couple trips to Toronto, a couple trips to the United States where there was a large population of Black people to find resources was very successful in finding lots of resources and brought them back home and started engaging with my own children. Uh, a year, later, year and a half later, I had my second child, Samantha. Um, so I was able to re- read them books to them that looked like them. I was also able to get black Barbie dolls. Black, Your first black doll was, you know, your first cuddly doll was the first black doll, which is normal for our culture. You should be having um, information and characters that look like you so you can think about your own future. And it's amazing that when I go to my mom was going to the mother and daughter groups or the, uh, you know, the young moms groups that people say, where did you get your products? Where do you get that? I said, well, you know, I had to source it because I said, yeah, we can't go to Walmart and buy it. We can't go to Zeller. Well, back then I'm aging myself. We can't go to Zeller. <laughs> we can't go to Zeller's and buy it or the byway, right? Yeah. So I was saying, they said, can you get me one next time you go there to Toronto? Next time you go away for a trip and you bring me back one. So I started bringing stuff back for my family and friends. And then it's just morphed into, morphed into a business. So it's like, you know, if I can sell it to one, I can sell it to many. But my main goal was to get the products into the hands of moms that wanted to educate their children with products that looked like them. It wasn't to be a profitable business. It was just to give a service and to share the love of my culture and who I am and making sure that everybody has access to things, you know, positive affirmations of African ancestry. Uh, and then I, in 2003, I had the pleasure of going to Ghana on a humanitarian issue uh, to work with order, widows and orphans. And then, of course, I fell in love with the country, the motherland. I've been able to trace my own roots back to Sierra Leone. So through seven generations of being African Nova Scotian, we were part of the refugees of the War of 1812. So we came through uh, the War of 1812, settled in Birchtown, and then went back to Sierra Leone. So I still have relatives that carry the Hamilton name in Sierra Leone. I haven't gotten there yet. But I went to Ghana because Ghana is one of the most settled countries to go to. And it's very similar to uh, the Bible Halifax. So I went there, stayed there for a month, fell in love with the country, fell in love with all the artisans, you know, learned how they made the djembe drums on the, on the waterfront, learned how they made the shea butter. Everybody thinks shea butter comes from butter, but it's actually a nut that's on the tree. And they shake the tree down, and then they crush the nut up. And, and so I started importing shea butter, started importing djembe um, drums, started importing baskets, and... It's so nice to have authentic product from the motherland. So I still import that. And because of Western Union, I'm able to send money right back to the artisans like the same day. So it's really beautiful to be able to give back to my motherland 
and also encourage other artisans across. And now with the, the internet and everything, I'm trying to get some of them to get websites up because they can now sell. Although shipping costs are so exuberant, sometimes it's not worth it. So I'm trying to bring as much product here as I can, sell it, and then repurpose the money back to, uh, to Ghana. Oh, you were a social entrepreneur before social entrepreneur was a thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm only just scratching the surface yeah. <laughs> of the social impact that Bernadette has her, her, uh, her hands on. Yeah, the ripple effect uh, of what you're doing, Bernadette, I think would be so big and probably hard to quantify sometimes, but so gratifying for you. Yeah, and it's uh, and you know what it, it just keeps increasing because as the internet opens up, I'm getting customers now in Chicago and different parts of the states, and people are actually realizing that there are products. And I was talking to some of my counterparts in America, and there still are some states that don't get products. Like certainly where there's a large population of Black people, they have stores, but it's just like Nova Scotia. If there's not a large population, it's still hard to find products. So it's going to be a new market for me to to reach into, and I'm making contacts all over the country. So it's it's very exciting. Yeah, that is. What is your plans for getting, how do you manage growth? What's your next step from that perspective? Well, my speaking to my, I have a few life coaches and I have many mentors that have been nurturing me along the way. I need to scale down my products. I love everything I see and I want to sell everything I see. (laughs) Because, you know, if I see one pair of earrings, I want 10 of those. You know, I want 10 different styles. I don't want people to have one choice. I want them to have 100 choices, but it's too much. So currently I have about 80 products, 80 to 100 products on my website, and I'm trying to scale down to about, my mentor wants me to go to 25. I just can't see it happening, but I'm going to try to get down to maybe 40 after Christmas because I don't want to stop my market right now because the next three months is really, it's a kind of a seasonal business because, you know, Christmas is very, a very big month for me. African Heritage Month in February is very big and then the summer pop-up, but other than that, it's one off for people buying stuff for gifts or different things. So I don't want to scale down this year, well, 2021, but for 2022, I'll be scaling down to bring in more um, finite products that are making me money because I really, it's a labor of love, even though it is a business social enterprise, but there's some products that I'm losing money on. And I've only been able to realize that because now I do a cost analysis on every product, which I never did. <laughs> oh, you're getting to and my favorite subject word at the numbers. And it's very, <laughs> very scary that very few of my products are making me the big profit. So I know that's where my money is, but a lot of them are just making marginal profits. So I really need to think about the growth and um, how I'm going to make that change. And it's going to be hard because again, I love all the products and I think that everybody needs to see the products, but I might have to introduce them in a different way. I've done a little bit of playing around with subscription boxes. I did a mother's day basket and a father's day basket. So maybe offer things in a bundle. Mm-hmm. And therefore, the, some of the cost gets absorbed through other products. Um, so I'm still working working it out with my coaches. So it's that's where my growth will go. If it's okay, I'd like to go down to the coach thing first because um, I have had a business coach for eight years, and I honestly think it's a game changer. What would you say to people who resist that idea that think business coaching? I'm I'm fine. I can do this. You know what? I resisted it because, of course, as entrepreneurs, we know everything and we can do everything, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and we're we not going to spend. Sick or die. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and we don't want to spend money if we don't have to. <laughs> yeah. So the business we'll put you over the edge. Money. Yeah. Um, I guess you know, realizing after twenty-five years, you know, the uh, everybody always goes back to Einstein saying, 
uh, to keep doing things the same way and expect, expect different results. And I think I've been doing things the same way for 25 years. And uh, if I really want to retire, and I guess the newest thing is that I have a new grandbaby. <gasps> and that's why, that's why I'm in LA. So I want to be able to have time to stop what I'm doing and go visit my grandbaby when I want to, not on my nine to five jobs decision. So if I want to scale my business to be more profitable and to allow me to have some freedom of my own time, then I need to change the way I do my business. So that's my conversation with my business coach, my my accountability coach, he and she, because I have two, they're everything to me to let me know what's your focus, where's your plan the next, you know, 25 years, like, you know, five years, like they don't plan for the next two years. It's, it's planning your future. Where do you want to see yourself? You know, reading the seven habits, you know, Stephen Covey, the seven habits of highly effective people. Look at the, you start with the end in in sight, right? Start with the end. So you get to think about where do you want to be? I want to be maybe in LA for six months of the year. So in order to do that, I can't be in a traditional nine to five. I need to be somewhere else. So therefore the business has to grow to allow me to have that flexibility. That's awesome. Yeah, and I, I know I'm just going to jump in here because I, I haven't, you mentioned your nine to five um, a couple times. It's also a social <laughs> impact initiative. Um, so you are working nine to five while you're growing this business. And um, yes, could you, could you speak a little bit more um, if it's OK, Wendy? Uh, could you speak a little bit more to that and, and some of the issues? Um, yeah. Random. Certainly. So I worked for the African Nova Scotian Decade for People of African Descent Coalition. Big name. We're known as DPED in the, the community and throughout the province. So what we do is we do advocate work for African Nova Scotians in many pillars. We have about 11 pillars in our organization. But right now we're concentrating mainly on three items, which is the health initiatives. So we have a health strategy working group. We have a justice strategy working group. And we have a community uh, child welfare working group because many of those issues affect African Nova Scotians in a big way. Mm -hmm. So our Justice Institute was very instrumental last year in getting street checks banned in the province because one in nine African Nova Scotian people were being stopped by the police compared to the regular public, which is, you know, just exuberant and unnecessary. So we worked hard on that one. In the health strategy working group, we're working on now getting desegregated data so that we can find out what ailments are affecting African Nova Scotians, mainly because diabetes, high blood pressure, all of those um, illnesses that affect um, the normal population affect black people in a more traditionally, in a stronger way. And we don't seem, seem to get the help needed, nor do we get diagnosed properly by a lot of the general practitioners out there. So it's, an, it's important to have that desegregated data to find out what the numbers are, what resources needed to be put into what communities to help people of African ancestry live healthier and happier lives. And the child welfare program, enough can be said, again, it's not only our community, but many communities where children are taken out of the homes without enough education to the parents as to why child welfare intervenes, whether it's, you know, the way you discipline your child or your child may say something out of turn at school that gets interpreted by the administration as abuse or neglect. And next thing you know, a mom's lost her child. And so we try to work on behalf of that and to change the policies in the way that social workers work in the field, because there's a lot of internal issues that Africa Nova Scotians face, you know, from post-traumatic stress syndrome, from post-traumatic slave syndrome, from the anti-racism stuff that we go through. So lives are, are dealt with differently. And therefore, the people that are making policies and dealing with things need to also take a lot of light things into effect. In our Justice Institute, we have what we call IRCRES, which are impact on race and cultural assessments. So the Department of Justice has recognized that every person of African ancestry that gets uh, is sentenced 
they have to have an IRCA, and that will give um, the lawyers and the judges insight as to what is that person's life journey about. Are they into a family that is broken up? Are they into a single parent family? Are they into drugs? And, you know, are there, are there other extenuating circumstances that have caused them to go down this line of life in the criminal system? So this allows them to have a full assessment of who that person is as an individual instead of just sentence them. And then maybe they can do their work in community service, not having to be behind bars. So we're very proud of that. And the Department of Justice has awarded us $4.8 million to roll out many programs mm-hmm. to help and support African Nova Scotians. So on a daily basis, we get many of those calls and I'm constantly working on that. And we're working on conferences and just we just want to educate the public and the policymakers on issues that affect African Nova Scotians differently and just to come with an unconscious bias lens to make better decisions for us. And we want we work with government. We work with we work with the Liberal government when they were in party. Now we're working with the PC government because you don't know what you don't know. And if yeah. you don't ask, you don't have the right answers. Also, so we're happy that they're willing to sit down and listen to us. And we have changed and made new policies that have made a difference. And we have seen, as you have all seen too, that people of African ancestry have been taking on more leadership roles as deputy ministers and as superintendents and getting higher ed higher position. So it's going to make a difference. And and we feel we're making that difference. Wow, that is such, such important work, Bernadette. It must, it must really kind of tear you a little bit to know that you're now trying to work your way out of it. Yes. Right? (laughs) To balance that passion, you have two competing passions, right? Yes. Yeah. And you know, my, my supervisor is so excellent to work with. Like, I mean, they're going to go hand in hand for quite a while before I do work Mm. out of it. And, you know, we always believe in succession planning. So I would never leave anybody without support. Yeah. And um, so we're always working on trying to encourage others and, of course, younger people to come into this kind of work and to uh, be available for things. So it, it is exciting. Yeah, and, sure. um, you know, nobody's I mean, we're not in the day where everybody has jobs for 30 years anymore. People move on after four or five years, like, you know, it's time to move on and do something new. So I don't think I'm in a role that's meant for me to be there for the next 25 years anyway. You'll be yeah. passing the torch at some point. Yes. The question that I have is around the numbers. Ha- mm-hmm. You said you mentioned you just started doing costing. Yes. Were you, um, were you someone who was uh, loved your numbers? They were a necessary evil or you avoided them unless, you know, you absolutely had to deal with them. How were you? If you think about your journey with your with about that from the last 25 years, where are you now? Where were you when you started and where are you now? Well, Fortunately, I did um, two and a half years at Dalhousie University in a Bachelor of Commerce program, and I love numbers. So it was one of the things that I love doing. So in my second year, in my internship, or what they call job placements, I worked for uh, the Atlantic Trust accounting firm, which is no longer. And I didn't go back to I didn't go back to school. I stayed working. Mm -hmm. I love the accounting field. So I've been in accounting for the last 25 years also. I did. Um, I went through the SEED program, which is the Center for Entrepreneurship, Education, and Development, through FutureQuest, yeah. and I actually started a small bookkeeping business along with San. Well, my first business was called Ali San Personalized Products. I named it after my daughters Allison and Samantha. It's morphed into Sankofa Gifts because Sankofa is my symbol of my business, and the Sankofa bird has the bird flying backwards, remembering about their past, but he's also flying. He's looking backwards, remembering the past, flying forward, thinking about the what's the current is, and he's carrying an egg, which is our birth of new growth, 
which is the future. So I changed my business to say Code for African Gifts because that's my affirmation of who my Afrocentricity is. Um, so I did bookkeeping. I've been a H&R block tax professional for 10 years. I do the community volunteer income tax program with CRA. So numbers have always been in my life. Of course, as an entrepreneur, you don't pay attention to your own numbers as much as you do somebody else's. Um, so I had to start honing in on my own numbers. And um, looking at no loss, year, year after year, just seeing loss after loss, it's like time to turn around and make the profit. Um, so making that profit meant, again, looking at where I was sourcing my products from, looking at what the cost was, what the customs and duties was, because a lot of my stuff comes uh, internationally. And of mm -hmm. course, you have to pay all those extra fees. But your customers don't want to take on that extra fee. They, and they don't understand extra fees that you have. So you have to be able to price your product properly. Um, so I never looked at that 25 years ago, even 25 years ago. But this, this last five, you, you know, like I said, since I've got a business coach, I've looked at those things. And it's made a big difference in the business to actually see a small profit being turned now. And it makes it makes a lot of sense. So I said, I need to get back into more of the accounting and understanding it because as entrepreneurs, we don't have time to do everything. So a lot of times we farm that stuff off that we can't do or don't have the expertise because we're just spinning our wheels and taking time out of running our business. So I ended up in getting involved with labor and advanced education. I took a QuickBooks course with Stephanie Fallahan. I want to give her a big shout out. She's an excellent, excellent teacher. And I became certified as a QuickBooks Pro Advisor now. So I am actually certified to do bookkeeping. And as Melanie mentioned, my passion now is to share that knowledge with especially Black women entrepreneurs. But even better than that, there's a lot of young entrepreneurs. There's 11-year-old Taya Ties out there doing T-shirts, tie-dyeing T-shirts. And she is just taking the world by storm. She's, I just saw on her Instagram that she just did a bunch of shirts for St. Mary's University boys basketball team. Um, so I want to be able to mentor her and let her know, you know, I know that she's only 11 years old. Just imagine in 10 years where she'll be. I know she's saving up for college education and everything like that. But again, she also has like four or five other ideas. She's done a community pantry where she's giving food to the community off of some of her profits. So she's already on her way to do things. And this, this, she's one story. There's probably 10 or 15 more out there. So I want to be able to talk to these young entrepreneurs, get them to understand the numbers, and that, you know, don't give away everything. Don't give away the farm because I gave away so much product in the beginning, um, so many demos and stuff. And it's nice to give things away to people, but in the end, you have to figure out where the profit and loss is. So even with the QuickBooks training, so those, those two statements, your profit and loss statement, your balance sheet, and your cash flow, if you don't know those three documents, then your business could be in the toilet, per se, as they say, you know, without you knowing it. So... Financial literacy is one of those things that I really want to pass on to my young black women entrepreneurs. And also, um, I mean, Joyce Adam, Joyce is on the line. She has a, a black business network and there's like hundreds of people on that, on the, on her network. And I think that if I could touch one or two off of every network that I know of black women entrepreneurs, I could help make a difference in their lives because I didn't have that support as I was going in my business. And I find it's important now that I have that knowledge and I have that skill to be able to pass it on. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, I love that story. And I know you, uh, you even started like a, a chit chat group, just from chatting with you, Bernadette, it's been a pleasure to get to know you and become friends with you over the years, as well as working with you over the years. It feels like years over the year. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's like we're connected. Yeah. It seems like, oh, exactly. it feels like <laughs> longer. but 
I feel like I said years, I think, because in our conversations, and it's me asking, Bernadette, uh, as you noticed, I pulled out that whole, oh, that, <laughs> no, you're nine to five. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Very humble about it. But I, I wonder, do you see um, uh, a, a way, like, what do you see as maybe one of the biggest things that holds um, female entrepreneurs back or any entrepreneur back? from accessing those numbers? Do you, do you think it's, do you have a sense of, and it might be a bit of an unfair question, but just from your experience in working and, yeah. and mentoring yourself and your That's own it. experience, do you have a right. sense of what is a big block? What, what holds us back? And you know, in having that chit chat session that I was having, I was calling it chit chat Wednesdays, I changed it to chit chat Thursdays, but it's, uh, it's been a bit much. But asking that question of everybody, it's the same thing. I don't have time to do it. I'm, I know my bank account says I have money in the bank, so I think I'm making money. And um, they don't want to spend the money to also get the books done properly. So there's a lot of things, there's a lot of barriers that are in place. And they always say, you know, at the end of the year, I just give my stuff to my account and they take care of it. But they don't realize in between every month, you need to be looking at that stuff so that you can gauge where you're at. So I think it's just having more conversation. So as, as Wendy says, she's got the financial literacy. I think we need to engage with women, especially women entrepreneurs, about financial literacy. And the funny thing is, is you know, I'm also a member of the Center for Women in Business, and I go to their Thursday morning chit chats. And for the last two weeks, um, not last week because of uh, Truth and Reconciliation Day, in honor of our First Nations brothers and sisters, but we've been talking about financial literacy with Nora Perry. And anybody who knows Nora, she is tough on numbers, and she make sure that between between financials and marketing, I think those are her two big things that businesses need to know. So in our conversation just um, yesterday, geez, Thursday was yesterday, hard to believe. It was about financial literacy. And when we went into our breakout rooms, because when you go to the coffee chat, you go into breakout rooms after you get your, your subject matter. And everybody in the breakout rooms was that, we're just afraid to look at the numbers. We don't want to see them. And because a lot of times women entrepreneurs, and of course this group is, is all ethnicities, all women uh, from all walks of life. Why worry about your numbers when the banks won't give women entrepreneurs money anyway? So they're frustrated because even though they know their numbers, they get a good business plan and marketing plan and their financial forecast is there, they're still frustrated when they have to go to the banks if they are looking for a loan and the loans still aren't given. So I said, why should I go through all this work and have my numbers in place when nobody's willing to fund me anyway? So I'm just taking care of myself. So I think we need to change that attitude that your numbers are not for the bank. They're for you and your business so that you know where you're at at any given time. And we talked about yesterday, too, about there's a lot of women business owners that are now trying to sell their business. So if you want to sell your business, you need to know what your business is worth. And if you don't know what it's worth, then you may be selling it short of what it's worth. So it's important. Those numbers can tell you there's a lot of things that numbers can tell us that we've never been taught as business business owners, as women business owners, especially. Um, our male counterparts, you know, they have their own little clubs. They do things differently, but somehow they seem to be a little bit more on top of that stuff. But as women business owners, because we jostle, we jostle so many things. Most of us are running families. We're maybe running another nine to five. We may be doing a hustle on the side of the table. And we may be involved with volunteer work because our community needs us. So we, we juggle a lot more than our male counterparts. So thinking about your numbers may not be first and foremost in your head, but we need to change that a paradigm shift on changing how you see your numbers and make sure that it's something that you look at, even if you glance at it once a month to see where you're at. And then make and sometimes, you know, small incremental changes can make a big change at the end of 12 months. If you start doing one thing different every month, you'll see the change in three months, six months, nine months. So you set yourself up for targets. Have I grown? 
have, do I need to do something differently? So it gives you a snapshot, which is, you know, what your balance sheet and your profit loss can be a snapshot of where you are at that present day in time. It, you know, you can do it for a long forecast, you can do it for a short forecast, but do it for a time frame that you want to look at and then make a change because you could maybe running a seasonal business and you think you're running a year long business, which is what I had to look into, right? I'm running a seasonal business. I'm not running a year long business. I don't make income every month. When I look at my bank statement, when I look at my profit and loss statements, I don't make money every month. So the money, the months I don't make money, I need to do something else. Hence, starting the bookkeeping and consulting business. So when I'm not doing my February and my December, those in-between times, which work so perfectly because income tax time is April, May, June, um, it gives me time to work it and help people with their books. So I think it's, you know, if we all took time to look at those things, we would see that numbers really play a key role in having a successful uh, small business. Yeah. I also, I recommend people um, make an appointment and put it into their day time day timer or whatever, whatever calendar thing they're using. I just dated myself, Bernadette, uh, is um, one hour every two weeks that you have okay. to spend with your numbers. So that's, you're working on your business. So I recommend that as a one way to start getting comfortable and to put it in your calendar, make it a date with yourself mm-hmm. um, so that people can start doing that. And yeah, it's, it's, I think, one of the biggest burdens that keeps people from growing their business because if they don't know what's working, what's not, to go to your point, Bernadette, about which things have profit, which things don't. Otherwise, you might, oh, this is very popular, and you start selling something even more that doesn't make any money. <laughs> <laughs> that is so true. And, and Wendy, you are so true about booking time for yourself. I actually have started doing that again for my coaches because oh yeah, I'm going to get to it. I'm going to get to it. And then you, next thing you know, it's 10 o'clock at night and you haven't gotten to it. So you need to put that time. So I finished my day job from 10 till six. And then Sankova is from six till one o'clock, two o'clock. Melanie knows we've had conversations at the wee hours of the morning, <laughs> but you know, between six and 10, I try between six and 10 PM. I try to book some bookkeeping time for myself, look at my products and try to scale down something or look at it, look at my numbers because it does, set you up for the next event or for what you're doing. So um, if I didn't set that time on my calendar, I would not be doing it either. And as I said, as a bookkeeper, we, we're our worst enemy. We don't, we don't look at our own stuff. A carpenter's host is always falling down. A hairdresser has the messiest hair. You know, we don't take care of ourselves when we have those skills. So I've had to say to myself, Bernadette, you have to take the time and look at your own numbers. How can you teach somebody else and yeah. give advice when you're not doing it yourself? I mean, I was even behind three years of my income tax. I, and I, I, I was ashamed to say it, but it was the truth. And because of my integrity and honesty, I always speak the truth. And, you know, I say CRA is not after me, but it's only a matter of time. They're going to be coming looking for their money. Um, so I need to get my books in order. I need to be on top of all of my stuff before I can support and help others. And my process of being a bookkeeper and social enterprise thing is not only to do bookkeeping for people, but I want to, I'm not going to be a teaching bookkeeper. So I'm going to teach you how to do things. And if you feel that at some point in time, you're ready to take it over yourself, I'll be there to support you along the way, because depending on what your cash flow is, and if you don't have money to support and pay me, then I want you to be able to at least be comfortable doing things. And I must say that QuickBooks and Wave, I mean, there's a lot of the free programs out there that you can use if you don't want to pay into things. They become very easy to use once you understand. But then as entrepreneurs, we need to look back and say, is it worth my time to spend an hour on my books or to farm it out for an hour? And I also want to be able to teach entrepreneurs that, that don't put yourself that you have to do everything. Put, you have to build your budget and in your budget, put down your accounting fees. It's like you have to pay your telephone. You have to pay your rent. 
it's one of those things that is a overhead expense and you incur in, once you incur it into your expenses, then it's like, you know, it's like everything for smokers, people that used to smoke, you know, they spent $25 a day on cigarettes. Now they don't smoke. So where's that $25 going, you know, put it somewhere else. So it's the same thing with bookkeeping. You know, you might not have had $25, but once you put it into your budget, the $25 is gone. So build on it. And once it's gone, you start living your life with that expense already in there. And therefore, you don't think of it as a burden. So you want to make sure that your accounting, your lawyer, any of your professional fees are something that you need to have on hand to make sure that your business is successful. So don't think of it as a, a negativity, but think of it as something that's going to help grow your business. And then you'll find it somewhere else along the line in your in your line of business, whether it's in take it from some other source or make sure that it's definitely in your budget. So it's a, it's one of those important professional fees I think everybody needs. Yeah. And I, I think that uh, sometimes we get ourselves worried about the little things when in fact spending that, what, $100 a month or $200 a month would actually mean that you can wait, make more money because you're not, what they can do in four, what a good bookkeeper can do in four hours yeah. would take you a, a two or three days. So but you know what, that's, that's one of the reasons why I left H&R Block because I mean, H&R Block is a great, um, great company for training you and they do good things. But, you know, they're a company, so they're trying to make money. So when they start, they charge $85. Well, that was back in the day, been 10 years ago since I worked for them, uh, for a senior senior citizen to come in and do an income tax. A senior citizen's coming in with two slips, a T4A, a T4OAS, their supplements, and their old age pension. So for 15 minutes, I can do an up in income tax and charge $85, which is killing my heart and my soul. So I would whisper to them, and I can say this now. Go down to Cole Harper Place because they do income tax for free through the community income tax program. Don't work for it. Don't give your money to H&R Block. It's only 15 minutes down the road. And then at the end, and I said to H&R Block, you need to do better. Can't you do something? Because they gave $29.95 for students. So why can't you give the, give the seniors? I mean, our seniors take care of us throughout their whole life. Why can't we give back to them? So I stopped working for them. And then again, I started my own bookkeeping. And I would go to Gordon B. Eisner in Sunrise Manor. My heart is in the north end of, of Halifax, Godison Street area. So I would go into those senior citizens complex and I would do income tax for free or for a nominal fee because I just felt that they should not have to pay $85. And if they don't file their income tax, they don't get their supplements, which is, you know, again, on the government, the government knows until they pass away and are six feet under, they should just automatically give them their money. I mean, I think our government's wrong for making them file income tax and all that paperwork anyway, but that's another conversation. <laughs> Tell us what you really think, Bernadette. <laughs> I love it. No, I love it. I love your passion. Um, and I've learned so much from you. Like, I'm learning again. I feel like every time we talk, like, I, yeah. didn't, I, I didn't realize that. Um, and I've heard part of the story before. Yes. Yeah. What I'm finding interesting is the, the theme I'm picking up is, Bernadette, you have the heart of gold and you give, give, give. But you're starting to realize that you have to get your business working for you so that you can give more right, that's right. So that, uh, because that's the foundation that's going to allow you to leverage and do more for others yes oh, interesting i'm going to open it up for questions if you have a question just simply unmute and come on in and uh turn on a camera if you want if you don't any questions yeah i just wanted to ask uh, Benedict, uh how much of her fees for <laughs> well, as Wendy said, you know, I'm just starting joints, so I actually sit down and I, you know, I, anybody that loves watch me, I'm a, I love Facebook Live and Instagram. So when I got my certificate last Sunday, I did an Instagram that, hey, I'm certified. Here's my certificate. 
And I'm sitting down and doing consultations with, uh, I had 10 people that, you know, and many more are still coming in wanting. So I'm doing a free consultation. And from the consultation, uh, and this is from my business coaches, I just love them. I assess what the person needs. So if you need 10 hours worth of bookkeeping, then there would be a rate for that. If you need 20 hours worth of bookkeeping, there would be a rate for that. If you need to do GST and payroll. So I don't have a flat rate. I'm not doing $25 an hour, $40 an hour at this point. I want to try to work with the customer and give them a monthly fee so they don't have to worry about how many hours it's going to take me to do the work. I want to come up with something that works for the customer, that works for me. And it will be different for everybody. So I'm not going to have a flat fee. I'm not going to have something. So I am customizing my bookkeeping for the customer. And I'm going to make it workable for them. And, you know, again, I'll date myself. You know, you go back to that old layaway plan. If it doesn't work for a monthly thing, I'm willing to look at some kind of a payment plan. Although it's probably my mentors are telling me it's probably going to kick me in the butt. And it may not. It may not turn into that. I just may. But that's part of my giving, too. Um, so I may just give some. But so it's going to be a matter of assessing what the customer needs. If they only need 10 hours, it may only cost them $100 a month. If they need 20 hours, it might cost them 200 If they need to file GST, if they need to pay their, if they, have, if they have to do payroll. So every bit of bookkeeping has a cost, just like lawyers bill on every 15 minutes. Um, mm -hmm. Bookkeepers don't do that, not any that I've been in touch with. But you do have to book on, you do have to book your time. You have to be paid for your time. So I'm working the kinks of that out. But again, it will be on a one-on-one -on -one basis. And I think it's very important to talk to the customer, find out what they need. And if they only need a small bit of uh, understanding, then it could be very simply $25 or $50. It can be as small as, you know, it can be as low as that. But again, I also don't want people to think that I'm underpricing myself and don't have the qualifications <laughs> because then they think that you don't know what you're doing. So mm -hmm. I also I have to stay within the market and I also have to make a profit from this business because it's going to help um, service other things. So I would love to have a chit chat with you when I get back, Joyce, and we can uh, we can talk about things. Uh, okay. Center for Women in Business yesterday, the same thing. I had to a few people make an appointment. So I have to learn how to do that Calendly thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you do. And now I have to learn how to book appointments because I'm just saying, oh, just call me, you know, I'll put you in my calendar. But that doesn't work. You have to book appointments because I don't work. I don't have appointments from nine to five. My appointments don't start till six o'clock. So, yeah. you know, unless I do it on my lunch hour. And we all know when you start a conversation on your lunch hour, it goes into a two hour lunch. So, your employer's not going to be happy with that. <laughs> so <laughs> I need all my appointments after hours and hopefully people will understand that. And you know what? I also have, I have lewd days. I have vacation days. I can always take a day if I need a daytime appointment with somebody. So I, I do have some flexibility. My supervisor is excellent if I needed to take a day call, but that's the way I'm going to run my business. I'm going to do one-on-one -on -one assessments and I've already had have 10 books when I get home. And actually I've done a couple since I've been in LA because one thing with bookkeeping, you don't have to see the customer. I have, I have one of my mentors has been doing bookkeeping for eight years and hasn't seen one of her customers. Everything is through the cloud. Everything's through taking a picture, send your invoices. But anybody who knows me, I'm the face-to-face -face person. I love to see you. I love to talk to you. But again, that's taken away from my time and my business. And I have to learn not to do that as much. But it's so hard to pull away from being such an extrovert and wanting to meet people and want to talk to them and find out exactly what they need. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Joyce. There's a question also, uh, Debbie, and I'd love you to weigh in on this, uh, Bernadette. Um, when you think about paying yourself, how do you pay yourself first? What are the mechanics of that, in your opinion? Well, the mechanics of that, again, once you know your books and you're looking at things, is that you look at your profit and loss and you set up that monthly amount that you're going to pay. Just like when you get paid every two weeks in your day job, you got to pay yourself every two weeks. If, if you're going to do every two weeks or every month, 
You just have to set that money aside and then you have to make up for the shortfalls. You have to either put your hustle up and make it better or you need to realize that you're not in business to make a profit. And I've had to do that because I haven't paid myself probably for 25 years. You know, I'm just starting to pay myself the last, I would say 25 years, the last five years or so. I mean, I take money when I need it. When I see my balance is positive, I want to go to uh, the ballet or the symphony. I'll take money and go. I'll do my personal things. Um, but as far as my business account, one thing is that you really, really, and this is one big emphasis that I didn't have in the beginning of my business. You need to separate your personal from your business accounts. Very important so that you know when you're dipping into your business account, you are paying, you're paying yourself because you're not going to replenish that money. We all say, oh, I'm going to take 50 bucks from my business account. And I'm going to put it back. You never put it back. So that's like, you know, that's owner's equity. That's money that you're taking out. And if you're incorporated, that's a dividend to you. That's a payment to you. So you have to account for that as money that you're taking from your business. So I think that we need to set aside and say, listen, this is what I can afford to take from my business this week. I'm going to start myself off for the first three months at $200 uh, every two weeks. And then as your business grows, your salary grows. So don't stay stagnant. Don't keep yourself in that one amount. If your business is growing, it means that you're doing something right. And it's time for you to pay yourself more, recognize what your self-worth is. Because if you were in a job and you wanted to get a raise from your employer, you would say, listen, I'm doing more work than I'm you're paying me. I think I deserve a raise. So if you're in your business, okay, my business, I'm doing more to give profit to us, then you need to pay me more. So we have to think about that also in the same, same line as that. And Debbie, I'd like to say hello to you because we have been um, financial... Uh, income tax buddies for a while and I, it's good to see you and nice to hear from you too so we learned from each other back in the day doing some income tax work together <laughs> so awesome. nice to see you well i wanted to say thank you so much uh bernadette and thank you for melanie for bringing bernadette on mm -hmm. and i think the real bottom line here is you can have social impact and still make a profit yes thank you everybody Thank you, Wendy. It's been excellent being on your show, and I look forward to looking forward to other podcasts that you're doing. So thank you for offering yourself to us, and thank you to the audience that participated and have been here. And, you know, let's grow this world together as women entrepreneurs. Thank you for listening to The Real Bottom Line. This show is produced by Black Star Wealth. Executive producer, Wendy Brookhouse. To learn more about the show or to contact us, go to blackstarwealth.com.